for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I just I finished the book yesterday. Uh, it's great. It's, it's a very colorful, uh, descriptive things in there that were, were for, hopefully we can talk a little bit about it without, if I don't spoil it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a, there's a way to navigate that. Yeah. Like one of the lines, I think you actually say this line in the book multiple times, uh, dumb wars get dumb endings. Yeah. Talk about, did you come up with that? That was great. Uh, I did though. You know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's something that I've talked about with different vets from different wars actually. So, uh, I, you know, I, I, I cribbed it from real life. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I, I mean, I've, I just think, especially in my lifetime, I feel like I look back at the wars that we've been in. I'm like, do we really need it to do any of these wars? Like, I mean, I, I guess I'm becoming more of a pacifist in my older age. Like I just thought like, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you grow, I grew up on like GI Joe and stuff and you mm. just you think good guys and bad guys. And now you, I just think like, I think most people are pretty good. It's there's definitely some evil people pulling the strings and some of this stuff, but I think m- most civilians are probably pretty good people. We shouldn't hate each other. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. But that was, that was a good line. And, um, uh, just this whole thing, uh, this is another line. Hopefully I'm not spoiling it. This is only chapter one. So it's still a great book, but this line about, um, he had been a bit of a patriot, but he learned a long, long ago, never to say it out loud. Flag humping conservatives, clever mouth liberals, spoiled ass civilians, even foreigners like this lady officer, they'd all gloomed onto that word for their own reasons, their own set notions. Like, wow, that's, that's pretty deep right there too. Well, yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know, again, I think it's something that, uh, a lot of, veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan have gone through, uh, and, and not, not just veterans, right? Um, civilian engaged Americans, uh, who care about the country, but don't always agree with what it does. Um, you know, trying to reconcile both those things, uh, I think is what thinking people try to do. Yeah. Cause it almost seems like Patriot is like a bad word. It don't, and it, like people are like offended by American flags. And like, it's like bad to be proud of America in some ways, it seems like, which is really weird to me. Yeah, no, it's, it's frustrating. Um, uh, you know, there's nothing more American than having the the right to, uh, be angry at your country, to be frustrated at, at some of the decisions our, our government makes. Um, but you know, some, sometimes I do kind of want to shake people who are, are, you know, protesting this or that, uh, you're like, do you realize that in a lot of parts of the world, you'd be, uh, disappearing into a van right now? uh, by mysterious men in, in black suits, like give, give some space, uh, uh, for this place and at least have some appreciation that, that you're able, uh, uh to show up and, um, and do this. And, and you know, it, it, it's, it's hard. Uh, a, a lot of people don't, don't like dealing with that kind of complexity and nuance. Um, but you know, holding, holding two beliefs at, at once is, is, is a sign of intelligence is, is kind of an old F Scott Fitzgerald quote, and and it's something I try to keep in mind um, for myself when I kind of feel myself being pulled into singular singular thinking uh, on an ideological or political topic. What do you mean by that? Like holding two beliefs at, at once? Uh, for example, um, being being a patriot uh, and uh, you know caring for America and wanting wanting America to be its best self while also being disgusted at at its role in the world. You know, like. Um, Personally speaking, uh, nothing tested my my own patriotism more than the the MAGA years, um, but it's my country too, right? Um, uh, and and 
reaching out to people, uh, many of whom I served with in the army who have different political beliefs with me. Um, you know, we had some hard conversations and I, I won't pretend we didn't hurt feelings weren't hurt or we didn't shout at each other at times, but it's, uh, it belongs to all of us and, and, and kind of vacating ownership or, or, or belief in, in kind of the national project that we're all, all a part of whether, uh, whether we want to be or not, um, we are. And that's what makes the whole thing go is disagreement, is dispute, is is hurt feelings and 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 shouting, shouting at each other. And then every couple of years we show up at the ballot box and, and make a choice. And, and, you know, the people that I vote for aren't always going to make choices that I agree with. That's the whole system. Right. That's what makes it go. And uh, uh, holding all that together at once. It, it, it's hard, especially especially in, in, in times of social media and it, the tribalism that's kind of taken hold everywhere. Um, it's hard, but like having a little, I, I don't know, like going to Ukraine as a journalist and, and, and as a volunteer, um, it's, it's eye-opening because uh, everyday Ukrainians want what we have, what we take for granted and, and are, you know, in many cases fighting and dying to protect, to protect it. Uh, it, it was a good reminder uh, that we're really in the grand scheme of things, a very spoiled people. And uh, uh, wasting our time on kind of domestic culture war nonsense is maybe not the best use of our of of our energy. I yeah, I agree. I, I think that that's something. That's why I like to do these kinds of podcasts and have these kinds of conversations. And I try to talk to people from as many different kinds of backgrounds as I can find. Uh, sometimes I have conversations with people not on a podcast, like. Um, you know, I remember one time I had this, uh, guy that was from Cuba and he was my Uber driver. And I was like, oh, I got to pick his brain about Cuba, you know, because you hear a lot of this, uh, the, the youth is like, you know, uh, they want socialism and communism. And I'm like, you know, you lived in that regime. What is it like? And he's like, oh, it's terrible. He said, like, there's so many things that are broken and you can't just like go to the hardware store to like get things to fix it. Like there are no hardware stores. I was like, wow. So people have to kind of finagle things from junkin, you know, broken pieces of things and try to make things work. And I'm just like, we take that for granted. Just like you said, like even having a hardware store, like being able to go down to Walmart and get anything I need to fix anything in my house, basically. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, uh, here in, I, I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and a number of our Uber drivers are, are Afghan refugees. Um, and, and understandably so some of them have very mixed feelings for how and why they're here, right? They're, being a refugee is a very different thing than an immigrant. Um, and, uh, you know, having, having those kind of conversations with them. Um, and then, you know, I'll, 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 on the flip side of it, uh, sorry, that's my dog in the background. Uh, if you can hear it. I didn't even hear it. Yeah. You're okay, good, good. Uh, you know, something I, cause I'm, I'm 40 and I'll admit that sometimes I kind of get frustrated when I see, uh, uh, the gen, you know, generation Z, um, opinion, you know, their, their politics are forming and everything and they're, they're voters now. And what I try to keep in mind is, you know, for every era of American politics, you know, part of what makes this go is, is the youth vote pushing, uh, pushing the envelope, right? That like their, their formative political memories aren't nine 11, like mine was, uh, it, it, there's our, there's our, um, you know, uh, shaped by different things, different forces and it's good. And it's okay that they're pushing the envelope, uh, uh, it doesn't mean I have to agree with it. It doesn't mean the voting block has to agree with it. But like, that's that's part of part of this. Uh, that um, youthful youth voters, you know, maybe words, you know, the words communism and socialism mean different things to them. Uh, that's okay, you know, because I believe in you know I believe in social programs. Um, uh, is that socialism? 
uh, maybe, uh, you know, some of the things that we take for granted now, welfare, social security that were established by FDR way back when, you know, th- those were, those were, uh, revolutionary socialist programs, uh, uh, back in the late thirties. So it, it, it's, it's this kind of ongoing dialogue. I, I try to keep with myself and my, my friends of like, just not getting sucked into kind of like ideological screaming. Uh, but of course that's, that's easier said than done. Um, I've, I've done my fair share of that. Yeah. It's interesting with the extremes. Like I remember you mentioned nine 11. I just remember when they, they got bin Laden and I was at a target and I was getting rung up and I'm looking at my phone. I go, Holy shit. They got bin Laden. Yeah. And the guy ringing me up as a cashier must've been like 17. He had no idea who bin Laden was. I was like, wow, oh. no, old. I was like, that's crazy. This kid clearly had, he's like, Oh, okay. Like he had no idea who that was. And then yeah. did you see the thing recently where there was some like letter from bin Laden that's like going viral and yeah. it's like praising bin Laden. That makes me very suspicious. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but that makes me very suspicious how did that get out there? Who's you know promoting that? It's very suspicious. Yeah, it, it was originally published the Guardian, I think, to like kind of give so like way back they published it I think in two thousand one because the whole thing that set him off against America was us staying in Saudi Arabia after the Gulf War back in like nineteen ninety one because uh, he's, he's he's originally from Saudi Arabia, um, even though he cut his teeth as a jihadist in Afghanistan, and you know it, it's it's a letter from him. So of course it's essentially propaganda, uh, uh, outlining why he believes these things and completely living at, leaving out all the terrible things he's done to, uh, uh, to attain power to, uh, uh, not just, you know, not, not just attack America on nine 11, but like building a, a, a global terrorist network. So it's completely stripped of any kind of context that, that people unfamiliar with him could, could, could even get just from reading his, reading his Wikipedia page. Uh, so it was it was bizarre watching that as somebody you know whose formative years were during that time and you know served in the army uh, uh, in the immediate aftermath. Uh, you of, joined of the army because of nine eleven, right? Kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I was on an ROTC scholarship. I ended up um, kind of joining like the uh, the armored cavalry because of nine eleven because I wanted to do my part. Um, and uh, you know, we were going to war, so. I had mixed feelings about it, uh, even even mixed feelings about the Iraq invasion when it happened. But I was already there. I, I wanted to, if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it for real. Um, so you know, it it, it seems I don't know. It doesn't seem like that long ago to me, but it's it's a whole generation for for younger people, and and I try to keep that in mind, and 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 try not to be the crabby old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. I remember. I mean, this was like kind of before the internet really blew up, but like when that whole thing was going down, like my brother was over, he, I think he was in Afghanistan first and then Iraq, but he, there's this picture of him in Afghanistan and there's all these little kids chasing him. And I, and I was like, what, what's going on here? So what they, I guess what they wanted was a ballpoint pen. Mm-hmm. They're so poor that like a ballpoint pen is like a really amazing thing for them, which just like, and it, it shows you like how much they loved soldiers, most of the citizens, like it's uh, maybe your experience was the same. I don't know. Tell me if it was different, but it seemed like, you know, a lot of the soldiers, U S soldiers were helping these people that were, you know, in poverty and all this stuff. I mean, there's other sides of the war that, you know, we did a lot of bad things as well, but a lot of the, you know, the interaction between soldiers and regular citizens was mostly positive from what I could see. That was my experience. You know, I'd be accused of, I don't know, being a propagandist by <laughs> relaying my own experiences. Um, but uh, no, see, this is exactly why we have these conversations. I want to know the real 
So you're you don't represent every soldier ever, but you're. I, hope, I certainly hope not. No, I certainly no. hope not. Uh, yeah, you know, I, for 15 months we were stationed in a real rural part of Iraq. A real, you know, I'd never been exposed to that kind of poverty before. Um, like, I don't know if that kind of poverty even exists in in uh, the Western world. And yeah, you know, 98 percent of uh, Iraqis we encountered, you know, they want the same things we want: peace, calm, maybe a little bit better of a life for their kids. You know, but like handing out beanie babies. Uh, that you know that, that my mom would send um, in the mail was like earth shattering for, for these kids. Um, you probably out, retire on some of those beanie babies. Some of those are worth a lot of money now. Yeah, but you know it, it's there. There was no middle class. Uh, they were being exploited by uh, the tribal sheiks who were in power. Many of whom had you know by the time I got there in, in late '07, you know these were the same folks who. You know, they had contracts with uh, American businesses, right? Because we were we were trying to build things up, and sometimes these contracts and and you know, road pavement, water treatment, you know, uh, stable electricity, all these all these wonderful things that make a make a civilization go. Sometimes these things were reaching the everyday people, but you know, there's a lot of a lot of grift uh, between here and there, and we, I, I think, the limits of of even a well intentioned American military. Uh, in my opinion, you know, the invasion was a disaster and then we, we tried to untangle it as best we could and, and did some decent things tactically and operationally, but you know, there's only so much even, even the American military can do, especially in a finite amount of time and like trying to build up, uh, a society that we kind of helped wreck a few years before and stabilize it. It it was just, it was just beyond us. Um, uh, and there, you know, there was there was just limits to what could be accomplished. Things were a little bit better uh, in our little corner when we left. Fifteen months later, was it worth all the blood and uh, American and Iraqi blood spilled, and the actual billions of dollars spent? I, I don't know. I, that, I I didn't think so. Um, but you know, that's just my opinion. Uh, reasonable minds can disagree on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, like the everyday experiences, I mean, it was just, they were just everyday people trying to get by, trying to survive this thing. And, and, and you know, 15 months was a long time. Don't get me wrong, but like we, we left, we were leaving. We always knew that that affected everything. This was their lives. This was their every day. And, it, uh, you know, still is. Yeah. It's crazy. Like the level of poverty, like you said, I remember my brother told me the story, like one day they, they let, he was usually like the gunner on top of the tanks, which is like, I think is not the best position to be in. But one time I think they let him drive the tank and he said he ran over this like mud hut or something. It was like this guy's house and they gave the guy like 50 bucks or something like that's how much these houses are worth or whatever. It's like, it was just like nothing for the American soldiers. And, but, but for them, it's like, this is their whole home and everything. It's crazy. We, like you said, we don't realize we take it for granted, like how spoiled we are. Even if you're struggling in America and you're poor, like you're doing way better off than a lot of the world. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And like, you know, the American, most people in the American military, I mean, you join to, you know, your job is to like close with and destroy the enemy. Um, uh, that's a different job than nation building and, and credit to, so many soldiers and Marines, um, uh, certainly my, my scout platoon did the best to, to kind of change the mission and adapt, but like, that's not what, that's, that's not why they joined, you know, they, they, they joined kind of with more something, um, like Ukraine in mind, you know, a, a clear enemy, uh, wearing a uniform, also holding weapons 
that you know that's that's something that that young soldiers and marines can wrap their heads around uh for good reason um by and large the experiences in iraq and afghanistan over many years it it, it just wasn't wasn't that and, and most you know some some people are really good at that it, it kind of takes a unique mind and a unique personality to be really really good at that kind of thing and that's that's it's it, that's hard to replicate across an entire in, in, entire military yeah i don't know what's worse is like you know like you look at um like i mean all i know of war and stuff is things i've heard and read and movies and things like that but i mean i watched saving private ryan i'm just going oh my god i cannot imagine you know knowing that you're going in and yeah you have a clear idea who the enemy is but it's like i mean it's a firefight and there's a very good chance you're not going to make it through versus going to Afghanistan and Iraq where you don't know where the enemy is. So then aren't you like always like paranoid and worried? Like if you step in the wrong place or like, I mean, my, I, I see this picture with my brother, like I said, all these kids, I'm like, how do you know if one of those kids doesn't have like a bomb strapped to them or whatever? Isn't that something they would do? They, they do like really mean crazy stuff like that. These suicide bomb things. Yeah. It, it, the hyper awareness is, is something that you hear a lot from a lot of veterans who served when I served. Um, Folks, you know, if, if they're suffering from post-traumatic stress or something, a lot of them are gunners or drivers um, because, you know, every piece of trash on a roadside bomb, they, you know, for 15 months, they're trained trained to think that that is a lethal thing. And many, you know, one of my best friends uh, got hit by a, an IED on route Tampa and it cut right through uh, their vehicle right between where he was sitting and the driver. Like, you know, a millisecond would have cut either one of them in half. Right. Um, uh Lost another friend up in Mosul. To they drove over a, a 500 pound bomb. Everyone in their vehicle um, killed killed instantly. And so uh, you know the the effects of that are are severe, are serious. Um, and then, it, 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 but some things we didn't have to worry about. You know, I, I uh, some of the American veterans I've interviewed uh, who fought in Iraq and Afghanistan and are now fighting in Ukraine for the International Legion. There, you know, they talk a lot about the artillery. Uh, that the Russians hit them with, because you know, compared to world, maybe something they read in a World War One book or something, because you know, that's something that we never had to deal with in Iraq or Afghanistan. We controlled the sky, whereas over there now, Russian artillery, you know, the drone technology on both sides is way, way different than anything we we had to deal with uh, uh, when we were fighting. Um, you know, so like the the particulars maybe are different, but like the 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 horrors uh and the, the psychological effects are are very real and, and meaningful and and just kind of adapt uh uh to the time and place of, of of the battles being fought yeah like you mentioned the book in chapter three uh they're talking about va disability and compensation and uh the character uh didn't file for any because he didn't feel right he thought those funds for more for amputees and that's with melted faces so is that kind of more like a survival guilt because survivor guilt because there's a lot of people like if you see something like somebody else getting hurt and then you have that guilt of like why did why wasn't it me why am i alive and and that, those kinds of feelings yes you know that conversation i, I is another one i i, I kind of lifted from different com different parts of reality that that i've seen play out and just kind of put them in these two characters one han lee is up front hey we earned this these are these are our benefits uh, uh, that's why it's there. Like our cut, our cut of the pie. Whereas the, uh, the other Luke Paxton, I, I can't tell you how many, how many young vets I've heard say, that's not for me. That's for somebody who's actually messed up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I got some issues, but, but I'm handling it. It's fine. Um, and by handling it, it's, it's usually mean, means booze. 
but uh, uh, I, I've heard versions of that same conversation play out multiple times. And you know, there, there's some real honor. I I, I think in in, in uh, what Luke Paxton is trying to say is is you know that's that that's that's for, that's for the folks who are really messed up. But there's all you know the, the the pragmatic truth is I think is what Han Lee said. Um, and uh, years ago, I worked for a veterans nonprofit, and, and I saw this. Like that money is is genuinely carved out ahead of time, uh, uh, and and put off to the side. It's maybe the only thing uh, Republicans and Democrats can agree with uh, about in Congress anymore uh, is, is to do that. Um, so it's a matter of whether it's going to be utilized or not by by you know veterans who qualify for it. So you know. Both in my fiction and in reality, I, you know, I, I, I want I want there to be good arguments on both sides. You know, I, I don't want readers to come away from that um, thinking that I'm I'm making a a strong like making clear that one is right and one is wrong because I I I, I don't feel that way. I think they both have have interesting, compelling cases to make. Yeah, because I I think that's a huge issue is mental health and PTSD with veterans, and so I think that's something that um, I think it is getting shined a light on more now than it was say. 10 or 20 years ago, but, uh, I still think it's a big issue that, um, uh, like you said, the funds are there. I feel like it's, uh, learning how to use them and, and using them in the right ways to get uh, people back on their feet. And so, cause I, I don't, I don't like the thing where it's like, Oh, like he's got PTSD. So he's on disability. It's like, and he just doesn't do anything. I'm like, right. no, I don't think that should be the goal, maybe temporarily, but it's like, I think the goal should be to get people back on their feet. So they're doing something uh, some sort of purpose, whatever that may be. It may, it, I'm assuming it's probably not military for their whole lives. For most people, it's going to be something else, but that's kind of how you get out of that funk too. Right. Isn't it like by, by, by looking towards the people who are helping and joining that kind of cause. Yes. And, and, you know, the idea of, of all the awareness uh, and ad advocacy work 10, 15 years ago was to like, kind of maybe, uh, as a whole, like nip, nip these issues in the bud early because what they'd seen from previous generations, particularly Vietnam is these issues get compounded. And so by the time somebody's 40, 50, 60 years old, it, it's a lot harder, you know, and, and more expensive uh, from the government's perspective to, 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 to treat these issues. Um, whereas, you know, if you get these things early, if, if you get people going in and, and, and seeking me mental health treatment, uh, uh, that, you know, then they can go back out into the workforce be a productive citizen, um, you know, tell some more stories uh, at the bar every Friday night or something. Uh, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's better for both the individual and, and, and society as a whole, because uh, uh, they've been streamlined back in and, and th those issues were, were figured out early. You know, we're, we're going to see how that plays out. I think in the, in the, in the decades to come, I'm, I'm cautiously hopeful, but uh, you know, vet, uh, veterans issues is, is it's, it's a big dark labyrinth, frankly, um, and, and you know things are never going to be uh, never going to be great because a you set you send a generation of young people off to war, um, a lot of them are going to come back with with issues, um, and only some of them can be treated and remedied. Frankly, yeah, I mean it's I can't imagine. Like I said, I just from what I've seen, I can't imagine myself in those situations. That's why I have such respect for uh, veterans such as yourself. Cause I'm just like, I could never do that. So thank you for protecting our country because I would just be cowering in a closet, I think somewhere. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I appreciate that. But, but um, you know, I, I think it's just, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, you know, some, again, it's just kind of different because um, you know, for, in America war is someplace, something that we, 
go-to, right? Not since the Civil War has it been fought on our our soil. So, uh, you know, we just have a different relationship to to it. Whereas, you know, in Ukraine, I you know, I saw everyday people just like yourself who never thought they'd they'd pick up a gun. You know, having to having to make that choice to protect their neighborhood and their family. Because it's 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 not a you know it's not really a choice it's it's uh, sur- survive or die, so don't sell yourself short. You know, it, uh, it, it, if when and if you needed to, I uh, I think most people uh, are are willing and able to to do it. Um, it's just in America we just you know we again we've been we've been blessed that we don't really have to 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 make these choices or decisions um, or or at least haven't since since the mid mid nineteen hundred uh, mid eighteen hundreds. Yeah. Do you worry? Is that a fear that you have that it may be coming now? Because I mean, I feel like uh, it used to be a political issue with the border and now it's like, I feel like both parties are going, Oh, we got a problem here. And there's all these people coming in uh, military aged men without their wives, without their children. I don't know if that's conspiracy or what, but it seems like there's, there could be some concerns there that that there's all these people that came in from a, they were on the, what do they call like the terror watch list? that have slipped through the cracks. So I, I, but I mean, so far nothing's happened. So you're like, Oh, well maybe we're okay. But I don't know if it's just like a ticking time bomb. Uh, I am of two minds of this, uh, you know, on one hand, you know, there it's, you see all this talk, you see, you know, militias on the left or right organizing. Um, you, you know, you do hear those kind of horror stories uh, I mean, you know, I, frankly, it's just kind of a part of modern life, right? Uh, for us to ever be a, a, it's this balance of being a free and open society versus being a safe society. And I don't think you can ever be all of those things at once, right? So part of what makes America go is 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 balancing these things, right? Like, I don't want to live in a society where, uh, you know, the NSA can listen to every conversation I have or track track my every movement or 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 anything. At the same time, I want to be safe, right? Like I want to be able to go to a grocery store and, and not worry about being machine gunned down just because being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like I, I want my kids to go to school and feel relatively confident that they're not a not a soft target. Um, so maintaining this balance between security and liberty is kind of at the heart of the American uh, experiment and always has been. Uh, as for like the Civil War concerns, it. it I think it kind of gets overblown. This is just my opinion by kind of imaginative minds, um, you know, cause it's, it's interesting to think about. It's certainly, you know, in our history. So it's, it's not impossible. Um, things, almost every civil war though. Uh, it also it like emerges from really terrible economic conditions. Um, think we're too comfortable. Like, like we're just, yeah, you have some crazy people on the hard left and the hard right who willing to go to blows by and large, most people, most people are just, you know, we're too, we're too happy. We're too fat. We're too content for that. Like, uh, and thank God, right. That's a good thing. Um, I don't, I don't, I personally don't want to raise my children in a, uh, society where we're fighting over resources. Um, that all that said, like, don't take it for granted, be cautious about this stuff. Keep bear in mind that like, uh, that's always a possibility, especially for a country as sprawling and diverse as ours. But I don't know. Sometimes I, I, I hear, I see, see these things. And I just, sometimes I think people have just watched red Dawn too many times. Well, I think the latest one, which is kind of interesting. Cause I, I had an author on, um, uh, Dr. William 
Forks, Forchkin, I think his name, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but I had him on about, I don't know, like six or eight months ago. And he's, he writes books uh, similar to yours, but he uh, talks about EMP. He's kind of like an EMP expert and he writes books about, these are fictional books about EMP attacks and stuff. And that he's been trying to like go to Congress and say, Hey, we just need these, like, uh, I think it's called a Faraday cage that they can put over the power generators. Cause otherwise we're at, uh, you know, we're at Liberty for them to attack. If they take out the power, like we're fucked. I don't know if you saw that uh, movie, leave the world behind. Have you sure. seen that one yet? I have. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? Cause that's kind of like what now they're going, they're taking his idea of the EMP attack. That's basically what that was. And then, once they take out the power, like you said, we're very comfortable. But if we aren't comfortable, mm. then we start attacking each other. It's kind of scary. The movie was okay. The book is better. So, you know, I'd write, oh, I, haven't, I haven't read the book. Yeah, the book's good. The book's real good. Um, yeah, you know, that, that, that uh, that's something that uh, can be done, um, has been done other places. Uh, I suspect that our government is keenly aware um, of cyber attacks and, and, uh, things of that nature that that would attempt to do that. Um, it, it also goes both ways, right? Like, uh, there's not a doubt in my mind. We have, we have people in different places trained to do that very thing to, uh, forces or countries that, that would do it to us. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I, I don't have a clean answer on that other than, um, kind of the constant, cat and mouse uh aspect of this is uh, you know it's not dissimilar to uh kind of the nuclear bomb uh gamesmanship we, we went through with the soviet union right which is like okay yeah you could do this but then we'd also you know kind of mutual assured destruction kind of thing um uh hmm. you know it could china do that to us possibly could we also do it to china i suspect we could um and they have their own internal domestic issues to to deal with. Um, so, you know, it, I don't know. Um, we have a lot of, we have a lot of highly trained, smart people in key places that, that know what they're doing, both in the private sector and the public sector or, and in government rather. So, uh, I don't know to wake up in the morning. Maybe we, we got to have a little trust in, in the powers that be, um, uh, I'm telling you so just I a little bit of money on those Faraday cages. So, I mean, cause you look <laughs> at how much money, we spend, I was looking this up today. It's so fascinating. So Russia spends like 72 billion on their military. China's 298 billion. Uh, we asked for 842 billion for 2024. So that's like more than uh double China with every other NATO country or every other non-NATO country with China. Like that's a lot of money. Sure. And uh, I don't know if it's going all to the right places. I, it seems to me like a lot of this, the money that's going to the military is just for these defense uh, contracts and stuff. What they even said, I think t yesterday or today um, that a lot of the money going to Ukraine is going to these American defense contractors that are uh, making the weapons and stuff that they're making a lot of money off this money that, that, that we're taxpayers are giving to Ukraine. It's not like we're just giving Ukraine a check. It seems like it's like, right. No, I, I, and that gets lost. I think that's, that gets lost in like the public debate. Right, they just see these numbers and, and assume it's we're cutting it directly to Zelensky to uh, to spend as he as he wants, and that that is not the case. It, it's it's very frustrating because I am certainly no uh, I've, I've written some terrible and uh, 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 duly earned things over the years of, of the defense uh, contracting industry. I believe they deserve it. Um, uh, at the same time, <laughs> uh, 
at the same yeah. at the at the same time, um, you know, watching uh, uh, first and foremost watching Ukraine stop Russia in its tracks uh, in in February and March of 2022, you know, that's due to Ukrainian resolve and bravery, uh, you know, th- th- to to stand up against a, a a much larger neighbor, more powerful neighbor. Uh, they deserve credit for that, but a lot of it was was American made weapons, um, just completely annihilating. Uh, uh, a much larger army that was completely kind of caught off guard um, by this kind of technology. I mean, it, it, you see it playing out. See, you know, you see it with the javelins early on. You saw it with the himmers there uh, over the summer, uh, summer of twenty uh, of t- two thousand twenty-two. You're seeing with kind of like more of the long-range stuff as they're attacking the the Black Sea fleet um, now. Uh, and you know, we, we, we frankly we haven't given them as much as we probably could or should uh, if we actually wanted this war to end uh, as quickly as it could. Right. Uh, there, I think there's been some missed opportunities there. Um, and frankly, that's due to Jake Sullivan in particular in the Biden administration, kind of doling these, these weapons out piecemeal um, forcing the Ukrainians into kind of a mother may I position. Uh, but yeah, it, the, going back to like the defense contractor thing, you're like, Oh, Okay, I mean these these things are really good. Uh, you know, it goes back to even Iraq, like uh, you know, being very frustrated and, and seeing the heavy contractor presence there. Uh, you know, middle aged men making three, four times as much as as my everyday soldiers were. You know, from our eyes, at least, maybe not. You know, not of course they're not working as hard as we are, and they're certainly not going out of the wire as much as we are. On the other hand, like you know, we were in uh, strikers made by General Dynamics. Those things were awesome. Those things were great. Uh, those things saved saved the life of of my friend that I mentioned earlier, right? Uh, with the uh, uh, when they were struck by the IED. So, right, yeah. So that, there, there, the, there needs to be there needs to be more oversight. I hundred yes, percent agree with that. Yes, that's um, what it is because I don't blame the people that are making the weapons. I mean, they're just trying to make a really good weapon. That that's fine. That that that, that there's no problem with that. The problem is the politicians and people are. are they should not be in bed with those people. It's the same right. thing with the pharmaceutical companies and the FDA. There should be a direct uh, line between those two things. Those should not be in bed. We should not be promoting any pharmaceuticals. Like, yeah, should drug companies try to make the best drug to cure the diseases? Uh, absolutely. Keep, keep doing it. That's American. But like the FDA should be regulating that and they shouldn't be like hanging out together, you know, having drinks and saying, Hey, should we approve this drug? Yeah. Why don't you have another drink and we'll discuss it. You know, no, that should not be going on. Defense procurement. Is, I mean, it's a mess. Like you'll have the screws being made in a plant in Oklahoma. You'll have the, the, uh, the plate, the screws go into being made in a plant, in, uh, up in Iowa. Right. And it, it, it's exactly like these things are done specifically because they're being negotiated between the companies and the congressman, Congress people for access. So no, it, it's, uh, it's insane. And it's, you know, nobody, nobody was more aware of what this could turn out, turn out to be more than Eisenhower, right. Who gave it, you know, his famous farewell address w- warned about, uh, the military industrial complex, Yeah, the military industrial complex. Exactly. So yeah. no, it, 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 it needs a lot of remedying. Um, well, and the scary thing too, is that we keep leaving these amazing weapons that you're, you know, you're saying this say my life this is a great weapon. We just leave tons of them over there. And I'm, yes. I'm afraid the wrong people keep getting the c- control of it. Oh, I don't well, know if that's okay. by design. They, no, they do. They do. Uh, you know, ISIS way ba- uh, about a decade ago now, you know, had the American Humvees, you know, they made, 
that had the memes making fun of uh, Michelle Obama uh, when Kabul fell, when Afghanistan fell in 2021. You know, the, the Taliban. It, it, it was shocking seeing the Taliban walking around you know, like special forces commandos, right, with with night vision goggles that that had been clearly uh, left left behind by American or British uh, military. I mean, they're you know they're driving driving American vehicles that we'd kitted out the Afghan military with, but those have since been abandoned. Uh, no, there's no, there's no doubt. I mean, you, you, you look at it now, you, you, uh, uh, the, the commando look, the special forces look that, that was a very distinctly, if not American thing, certainly a Western thing that's everywhere now. I mean, like the African militias dress like that now. Uh, and it's not just an aesthetic. Uh, it, it comes with real serious technology, Black market weapons are, I you know, I not a world I know a whole any much of anything about, but like, I know what these weapons are uh, and, and what they look like and how they're showing up in, in far corners of the world. Uh, and you know, they were originally made in a Lockheed Lockheed Martin plant here in the states, maybe, but that's uh, they've ended up in the wrong hands. And you know, I mean, it's 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 wild. It's 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 wild see, wild west in many ways. Do you think some of that's by design? That the politicians like are kind of in, if they're in bed with the contractors, the more weapons that are out there, the more chaos, the more we, we got to make more weapons to protect people. Like, I don't know. It's a little suspicious. Yeah, I tend to believe with this kind of stuff that like um, it's more idiocy and, and lack of lack of careful planning more than anything. That's true, too. He has to work for the government. <laughs> I know how that goes. Right. I mean, what's the old what's the old saying? Like, you know, if, if you worked if you worked within government or any bureaucracy, you know how many people would have to keep their mouth shut about like I'll believe certain conspiracies if I'm like, okay, three to five people might know about that. Yeah, they could probably execute that. But if you're getting to kind of like big stuff where it's like hundreds and hundreds, you're kind of got hundreds of people keeping their mouth shut, that's when I, I tend not to believe it. So, you know, with with, with specifically with this, I, I think I lean more towards just lack of planning and idiocy as opposed to like very deliberate, uh, careful. Uh, careful planning of chaos. That said, there's no doubt that uh, uh, you know chaos creates power vacuums, and people are going to take advantage of those power vacuums. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it just seems like we should have learned from our mistakes. Like we just keep doing. Like we just left Afghanistan, and we left all these. I'm like, did we not learn from this before? Like, I don't know. Oh, oh God. Uh, it, well, they they all thought. Well, they'll at least last uh, a few. You know, I, I was for the withdrawal. I thought it was it was. 20 years was enough. Sure. Um, the big mis- there were many mistakes made, but one of them was like still kind of American hubris, right? Like, so they call it fight. They literally call it fighting season, right? And fighting season ends every winter. And so the fighters uh, 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 in the Taliban go back home, right? How, why could, why didn't we withdraw November, December, at least give the Afghan Afghanistan government three or four months to stabilize and prepare, Right. No, we had to withdraw in September, baked around September 11th, because it's still about us. 20 years later, it's still about us. Uh, so, yeah. And so it, then the domino effect, it, it felt crazy quick. You know, I don't know, seven to 10 days. It was insane how quickly, you know, out, out, outpost, outpost, outpost. And then it was they were in Kabul. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of my friends who served in Afghanistan, I only served in Iraq, but a lot of my friends served in both or, or maybe just served in Afghanistan. They had really hard. They had a really hard time. I, I was surprised. I was surprised. Um, uh, but you know, they they gave a formative part of themselves to that time, to that to that country, and to that place, and to those people. 
And to watch it all crumble so quickly was tremendously difficult. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, I am glad that we're out of there for now, at least until we go back again. But um, yeah, I mean, we have we don't we don't have American soldiers in Ukraine, but we're giving them money. And then the other conflict that's going on right now that we are, or again, I think it's just the thing we're giving money is the Israel Palestine war. That one is, I mean, obviously that's a very uh, long, long thing uh, that's been going on for years and years. What is your take on that? Because it just seems weird. I don't remember in my lifetime all these pro Palestine people right. protesting and they're saying from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Well, that they're saying that's a call for genocide, that, that, that Hamas wants, um, you know, basically the death of every Jew, which is, and then you got the president of Harvard and these college presidents kind of not denouncing it, which is really disturbing to me. And I guess not as many people are disturbed because, uh, well, I I think they eventually all stepped down, but I I thought that would be something that they would have to be fired the next day, but it was like, seemed like it kind of was drawn out and you still have all these pro-Palestine protests in my home city of Seattle. They, blocked the freeway and the cops just kind of let him. I don't know. What is your take on all that whole conflict? I think two things can and do exist simultaneously. One, Hamas is a terrorist organization. Uh, Any thinking person um, can and should condemn them. Uh, They cannot be allowed to, uh, you you can't snuff them out uh, uh, because they're an ideology, but you can remove them from political power. Right. And uh, so I think Israel is well, more than well within their rights to be to be pursuing the end of Hamas as a as a a political as a political uh, leader of of Gaza. That said, um, many of the things I've seen coming out, uh, the footage coming out of Gaza has revealed to me that the Israel uh, Israeli army um, uh, is not living up to this to the standards it should be. Uh, in terms of uh, trying to minimize civilian casualties, uh, uh, the the footage in particular with the, the you know it turned out to be the three three hostages uh, that they ended up, of their own that they ended up shooting with the white flag that ju- that ju- showed me a complete lack of discipline uh, uh, by their on, on the ground forces. That um, I don't know if I've seen that one. I've seen a lot of horrific footage uh, from for, for first the attack that Palestine went into Israel, and then yeah, like the counterattack. Of just a lot of innocent lives and 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 ball, and then I hearing conflicting things because you hear that Israel warned Palestine, "Hey, get all the innocent people out. We're going to bomb you guys." And that Palestine was saying that was telling people to stay put, which right. is messed up. So I yeah. and I don't know what to believe. I, my thing is like I'm pro peace. I want there to be peace. I think there should be negotiation. I don't think innocent lives should be lost on either side. I don't. But you're right. I mean, I think there's. I don't think Israel's like perfect in this either. No, no, and they uh, they have not been. Um, uh, some of the things have been beyond the pale. Um, so, what do we do as Americans? Yeah, we we don't get sucked into having to choose a side, and too many people have been kind of sucked into this. Um, uh, well, I you know I, I'd be a resistance like a lot of it's cosplaying like. Oh, I'd be a resistance <laughs> fighter. Right? That is a oh. great term for it, cosplay. I love that. I'm like, oh, would you would you murder children? Right? Would you? I mean, I mean, some of the t- like tremendous, documented, proven things that Hamas did in, in, yeah. in on October seventh. Like, are are you really defending that? Um, uh, and, and by and large, when you confront confront these people um, away from away from the big groups, 
uh, they'll say, oh, oh, of course not. Of course not. And good. Okay, good. Like that's a, a sane human response, right? And the same, the same way that like leveling um, uh, blocks of Ga- in, in Gaza uh, 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 without any kind of clear target, uh, precision targeting is, is also beyond the pale, right? So what we as Americans can, can do is, I think, demand of our government that our money and our weapons are frankly coming with strings, right? Like, okay, you know, Israel, Israel is an ally. They are. Uh, and we are going to support them. That's good. Uh, but uh, nobody gets a blank check from us. No one. Ukraine doesn't get a blank, blank check from us, right? Uh, we, we, we put stipulations on the weapons we send them for how and when they can be used. Um, uh, forcing the Biden administration to clearly articulate what the strings we're putting on Israel are um, would be huge, would be instrumental. Uh, and, and then this is really just kind of more my just personal reaction to this. I, I think it's great that people are caring about caring about the war or, pro, you know, maybe, you know, they, they feel much more strongly one way or the other than I do. So they're showing up to protest or whatever. I will admit though, as, as a cranky Iraq vet, there's part of me that's like, where the hell was this energy the last 20 years for, for, for wars your country was directly involved in where, where Americans were being killed, right? Uh, you showed up to maybe one or two protests in 2003 and then went home and stopped and checked out because by and large, uh, the story of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars was American disengagement, right? Uh, uh, completely checked out um, in, until maybe something big happened. To, uh, so, you know, and that's that's neither here nor there. I, 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 try, I try not to let that color uh, my perceptions of what's happening now. But I'll, you know, I'll admit, um, and, I, and I think it's this case maybe for, certainly not all, but, but some other veterans of my era, it is like, where is this? Like, why, why, why this thing? Why, why do you care so much about Israel and Palestine when American wars were? You were just kind of shrugged. Folks just kind of shrugged off. I don't know. Well, so there's people that feel like it's by design. This is what China and Russia want. They want people to get riled up. Because if you look at like, I mean, take a, for instance, like I was thinking about this. I, I was obviously not alive during Vietnam, but all the footage you see in the pictures, you look back. Remember the peaceful protests? Like, I mean, John Lennon. All the. I mean, you look at these things. Everyone's got a peace sign. Everyone's saying peace. Nobody has a Vietnam flag and is saying I'm for whatever it was, South Vietnam or North Vietnam. You know, no one's saying no free South Vietnam or whatever, whatever it was. Like no one had, I never see any of that. It was American flags and peace signs. And you, now you're not seeing that you're not seeing American flags and peace signs. You're seeing uh pro Palestine. I'm, I'm assuming there's probably some pro Israel things too, but I, I'm seeing a lot more pro Palestine things in my newsfeed. Maybe that's, by design as well, but uh, it's, it seems like a lot of just Palestine, Palestine, not not peace signs. And be, being pro Palestine, you know, uh, uh, yeah, seeing more peace signs would be would be fascinating. And, and, and personally, I'm fine with like Palestinian flags. It's more the pro Hamas stuff that really kind of like raises yeah, my eyebrow. Like like you were like from the river to the sea chance. Like um, people are like, oh, that's not what it means. It, it, it's what it means. It was in the original Hamas charter, right? It, it, it yeah. is a it is clearly a genocidal chant now i don't believe that a lot of people know that that are chanting it um well but if we're gonna we, ban confederate flags because we think that's racist shouldn't they ban the the chants you know like that those shouldn't that be shamed upon as opposed to sh- putting these educate. people in charge of our most prestigious universities yeah just, just know, say, and, and, is that radical to say that no that was that was that was bizarre uh uh <laughs> 
you're, yeah, okay, it's a bit of a trap. You know, you're you're, you're clearly facing a, a a Republican Congresswoman that that doesn't like you. You don't yeah. have to walk. You don't have to willfully walk into her very obvious trap, though. All you have to do is say, "Hamas is bad." We we uh, 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 we believe in freedom of speech, but we also believe that that uh, 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 our students deserve safety. That's all those people had to say, uh, and none of this would have happened. <laughs> none of this would have happened. They would have kept their jobs, maybe. Yeah. Um, but uh, but again, but again, it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier in the discussion. Like, you know, those are smart people. Those are you know they they've spent their their lives in ac- academia, but in that moment, some like they felt almost compelled to stay loyal to kind of the, the, their, the academic class rather than, you know, rather than as presidents of these universities, you know, kind of they're, you know, you're playing a political role. You're testifying in, in front of Congress. Um, it, it was fascinating that they uh, kind of had to maintain, like felt that felt compelled to maintain some kind of ideological line rather than just kind of, I don't know, saying some, some, you know, political nonsense that would have, you know, satisfied, satisfied the moment and kept them off the news. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it with the cosplay. I just can't, can't uh, stop thinking about that. Like, why does a 63 year old, uh, white woman from Portland have a pro Palestine flag? It makes no sense unless they're cosplaying. Like you said, they're not from Palestine. Why do they, it's bizarre. (laughs) I, I, you know, I, I want to believe that they really believe in this and maybe there's some kind of personal connection and, and like, uh, it's not for me to tell somebody what they can or cannot care about. That's true. Um, yeah. But, it, but, you know, then I, you know, I, I see, I, I think it was the uh, San Francisco city council recently uh, uh, voted in favor of a ceasefire. That's great. But like, shouldn't you be focusing on ac- actual issues that matter to San Francisco? Um, you know, there's that, a lot it, of it, issues that matter there. That's for sure. Yeah, it's, sure. It's I like, there. Um, uh, last time I was there, my car got broken into it. It's a a beautiful city. I love it. Uh, you know, I know parts of it, parts of parts of it have fallen, uh, maybe under some um, tough times and, and, uh, uh, you know, the politics of that are, uh, a a whole other thing, but like, I'm sorry, like San Francisco, San Francisco city council isn't going to change the trajectory of this conflict at all. Uh, yeah, that's very true. What are you doing? What are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's a fast it's a fascinating stuff I, I love having someone on that we can discuss these issues you're obviously very knowledgeable and your book gives a nice little snapshot of uh of what it's like you know being in, in the middle of some of this stuff i thought it was interesting too and in uh tell me if this part was true because uh you talk about where you've been to ukraine right uh yeah multiple times multiple times now okay so because then the character talks about seeing unflattering artwork of putin like putin with a hitler mustache Putin with a bloody red handprints smeared all over himself. Putin sucking a dick. Is there really stuff like that in uh, Ukraine? Less so now. Uh, partic- there was a lot of that earlier, in, like February, March, 2022. Um, uh, it's it's kind of changed over time in that it's very much kind of become uh, there's the war out east and then the rest of the country is doing its best to try to normalize and just go on and return to normal which I think is very admirable in its way, but there is kind of a, a less of a sense of the war is everywhere. Like it was early in the war. And, but, but like this kind of goes back to like taking things for granted, like, like things like that, uh, you know, we'd laugh at, we chuckle at, but you know, we, we see stuff like that at any kind of American political protest, any rally. Uh, 
Well, for Ukrainian society, like this is a big like you know they've only been uh, a, a free country now for for less than about thirty years, right? Like break, since they broke off from the Soviet Union, like being able to just to to do stuff like that, to draw stuff like that, to chant stuff like that, like is very empowering for them. Uh, it's it, freedom, you know, freedom of speech, which which we we think is just kind of a normal part of life. Like to be able to to do that kind of crude stuff about uh, uh, another country's leader, let alone the country that's invading you and trying to trying to conquer you. Uh, it, it's there's real uh, potency behind that. Like it's it's not ju- they're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. They're doing it because like it, it, it's an act of rebellion. It's an act of defiance. Um, it's also very it. funny. It's also very yeah, funny. I love that. I love that kind of stuff. Well, and, you, and then the, in your book too, there's like, I mean, there's some, you use some pretty graphic language. Some of it, I don't want to repeat cause I don't want to get canceled, but you talk about like, uh, there's a line where he says, I would ask rape his corpse. I'm like, cause you were in the military. I mean, is that how people, that's, I'm assuming that's how soldiers talk. Like they say some graphic, crazy shit. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So, I mean, and that particular quote is coming from kind of a, uh, a Ukrainian militia leader. Um, and there's kind of a, they're direct people, uh, 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 both in translation and, and in Ukrainian. Um, and, you know, he's trying to kind of impress, uh, the American, uh, the main American character in that conversation, uh, by kind of showing off his, his combat bona fides, uh, cause, cause he knows, uh, he knows Paxton was, was an American soldier. Uh, but you know, it's Slavic culture is in your face. It's direct. There, there's very little space for euphemisms uh or shying away uh that is just kind of part of you know west the way westerners have you know the way we've kind of learned to like cleverly talk about war and combat to to regular people that was that was not my experience in ukraine with talking to ukrainian veterans and and, uh so i wanted that to reflect that in my in my characters as well yeah do you think the military is that something that concerns you or do you feel like that's a good thing Cause I feel like lately the military has tried to be more PC, whatever, for lack of a better term. Um, do you think that that's helping the military become stronger or do you feel like our enemies are watching that and they're laughing at some of the stuff that we're doing with the military? They can do whatever they want. You know, R- 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 Russia likes to put out these, uh, hardcore manly man videos, right? Like guys doing pushups in the snow and then they got their ass handed. To, they couldn't even get to Kiev, right? Like, uh, uh, 72 hours to Kiev. Well, it's been, it's been two years, Putin. So, you know, they, they, they let them, let them do that. Um, uh, I, I won't pretend I'm not uh, a bit concerned about, uh, American recruiting, uh, in the military that, that seems to be down across all the branches, except for the Marines. Um, I don't really buy the fact that, oh, it's about the PC stuff or anything. I mean, I, I think it's the fact that this generation grew up while two foreign wars were being waged in their formative years and, and they both ended poorly. Uh, that's probably why they're not joining up or a big factor why they're not joining up. Um, uh, personal connections, right? Uh, traditionally, uh, at least t- since Vietnam, uh, the American military has drawn very heavily on, on kind of family members joining up, right? Well, a lot of, a lot of soldiers and Marines and sailors had negative experiences in the, the global war on terror. So they're probably not, they're probably many of whom are, coming home and telling their, their sons and their daughters and their nieces and nephews, uh, find, see if you can find something else to do. So, you know, that it's a big, I'm not, I'm not pretending that's not a problem, but I, I don't, I don't buy into the fact that like we've suddenly gone soft or, or don't worry. We're, we're, 
we're still a, a very strong global power. Uh, it's still it, it's still very much uh, an American American run globe uh, for good and for bad. Um, you know, there, there are pros and cons that come with that. But, uh, you know, I mean, take, take a look at what's happening in the Red Sea right now. Uh, you know, the, the U.S. Navy is having a field day keeping those sea lanes open, um, uh, which is which is funny to me because as, as an Army guy, you know, for for all those years, it was mostly us and the Marines that were kind of doing everything in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now it's the Navy get, getting the action and, and good on them. They're 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 more than rising to the moment. Um, but uh I hate to sound like an optimist because I know optimism is is very much not cool these days. But uh, uh, <laughs> or I'm not, I'm not... liking America, yeah, 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 yeah. There you go, there you go. Like I don't know, we're criticize it. I guess we got we got, we got more we got, we got more good for go, more good going for us than than bad. I, I I am a firm believer in that. I hope so. Yeah. You, well, it's interesting you mentioned the Red Sea thing. I was going to ask you about this um, because I don't think a lot of people know the real reason that Ukraine and Russia are at war. I heard I don't know if this is true, but I heard it's because. Um, the way that the Russia, like they do the uh, oil tankers, they have to go all the way around or something. And they want that uh, the access to the, the the sea from Ukraine. And it would be a lot easier to just go right down there. Does that have any, do you, do you have, have you heard any truth to that? I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, I mean, Crimea uh, has been a point of contention for years. Uh, the, the 1854, they, they fought a war there. That's uh, young Leo Tolstoy was, was a lieutenant there. Uh, fighting for the Russians. That's where char- the famous Charge of the Light Brigade poem emerged out of. Uh, uh, and Russia lost that one too. So no, I mean, this is a, resources are often, you know, almost always certainly a big, big part of it. Uh, there's also the, uh, uh, there's a lot of mines um, in Eastern Ukraine, in the Donbas area that uh, uh, powerful people uh, want access to and want control of. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. But there is also kind of uh, cultural and social forces at play. And, you know, trying to think about this on like an everyday person le- personal level, you know, something, uh, uh, one person I met over there that I think about a lot when this comes up is, uh, her name was Hannah. She was, I think 76 and we met her in a village outside of, uh, Kharkiv. Uh, so e- Northeastern Ukraine, about, I don't know, 10 miles from the Russian border. And, uh, she was sweeping up glass in her daughter's courtyard, uh, and her, her son-in-law's courtyard. And, uh, uh, the village had only recently been liberated. So it had been occupied by Russian troops for like a few months and they just trashed the place, uh, you know, kind of sh- sh- uh, turned one of the rooms into like a shitter, you know, ate, ate all the food, you know, just, just ru- ruined these people's, these people's houses. And, uh, uh, t- kind of talking to our translator, who's from Western Ukraine, I could tell that her Ukrainian was much worse than our translator, but also, also the middle-aged couple, her, da- her daughter and her son-in-law. And, uh, I finally, I, uh, finally got it out of her. I was like, you know, why, why don't you, why aren't you speaking Russian? Uh, wouldn't you be more, like, it's clear that you're not comfortable in Ukrainian, even to my American ears. And I like, I, I don't know either language, but I could tell she was having a hard time keeping up and she kept forcing, uh, forcing Ukrainian. And, uh, she explained to me through my translator, I don't speak Russian anymore. You know, uh, they killed my grandson, uh, uh her grandson had, had, uh, been part of the border uh, border guard for Ukraine and been killed early in the war, and it, like the only way she could think of honoring him was learning Ukrainian, a language that she had spent seventy years or, or so considering uh, a language for peasants uh, and agitators. Right, that like this is a woman from 
from deep in eastern Ukraine, a native Russian speaker, one of the people that Putin talks about, you know, wants to be part of Russia, uh, who's been turned against Russia, who's who's now more Ukrainian than she ever ever would have been before the war. And yeah, she's just one person, uh, but by and large, you, you you meet a lot of a lot of these people that think like this, that believe like this. Not maybe not the language, but but certainly uh, uh, with their identity, uh, now consider themselves more Ukrainian than ever because Russia's killed their kids, because Russia's bombed their their schools and their villages. Uh, so, you know, these border there, there there's no doubt that there's disputes about the border and who belongs to what and what belongs to where, and that somebody from Western Ukraine, like in Lviv is very different culturally and historically than, than people out East. But, uh, uh, to quote one of my characters in the novel, uh, uh, if we weren't a real country before they, we are now. And that, that is something that I've seen kind of through, throughout the, throughout the country, uh, expressed by both Ukrainian native Ukrainian speakers and, and native Russian speakers, which is that last part, that last one, I don't know if I was really prepared for, prepared for, uh, the first time we pushed out east. That's interesting. It's almost like uh, tragedy brings us closer together. Which, going back to nine eleven, I remember that was so weird because uh, you know, like the Daily Show, they'd always make fun of Bush. And I remember after nine eleven, John Stewart was like, "If anybody makes fun of Bush, I'm going to kill them." Like he, like it was like we all just came together. It was amazing. It was, yeah. was short lived, of course, but uh, it was great for a short time. We all there was like American flags everywhere and like people like loved America for like a short time. It did. And it was, it was too short. Like, can you imagine, like if we'd been able to bottle that energy yeah. and, and, and use it for, I don't know. It just seems like such a missed opportunity. So much was squandered. Yeah. So much was squandered in the aftermath of that. Yeah. Very sad. Well, the, your book is out, uh, not for a while, right? Like a month or something. When is February, it? The February 20th. Yeah. February 20th day breaks out. I've already read it. Great book. Uh, like I said, very colorful. I like getting the, the, you know, the inside, uh, you know, descriptions of what it's really like to be in these, these situations and stuff. It's, uh, it's different than people think. And the only way to to learn if you're not, unless you're going to go yourself is to you know read these books and watch the movies and those kinds of things. So anything else you have to promote? No, day, day breaks it. Uh, it is, it is fiction. It is novel. Um, it's a, it's a dark love story. But it's uh, you know it's deeply rooted in, in kind of what I saw and experienced over there as a as a volunteer and and uh, journalist and uh, I don't know like sometimes I think fiction is is better suited at kind of revealing the emotional truths of an experience uh, maybe you know, things you can't directly quote or source but but you felt or or or, or bore witness to uh, and yeah that, that yeah kind of exactly what you just touched upon Chuck, like that's my sincere hope with this book is that like people who aren't, uh, able, able to get to Ukraine or, 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 you know, don't want to, but are still interested in it can, can, I don't know, spend 200 pages to get to know these, these people just trying to, just trying to get by, uh, just trying yeah. to endure. Cause, um, it's not, it wasn't their choice for, for these missiles to start raining upon their, their homes and their, their towns. They just right. happened to be, you know, geographical lottery. Um, and, uh, I don't know, getting, getting to, getting, getting to know them and, uh, live amongst them for, for a little bit, really, uh, one of the great honors of my life, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I just encourage people to, to talk to each other. Um, you know, if not somebody from Ukraine, like your neighbor or whatever, like as many people try to get, talk to as many people from as many different backgrounds. And that's how you can really learn about 
the world rather than, you know, on TikTok or whatever, like where it's a lot of propaganda and things and people steering you this way or that, like just talk to real people and hear real stories. And obviously this story is fiction, but yeah, I mean, I feel you have experience, you've been there, you know, you, you were a veteran, so it's draws on reality from what I can tell. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I couldn't give you an exact percentage of, of what's uh, experience versus imagination. Uh, I, it's a heavy dose of both. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I've heard from some people, early readers that, uh, have spent some time over there and it's resonated with them as, as real and truthful, uh, and, and interesting as well. So, uh, uh, so far so good. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matt. And, uh, let me know if you have anything else to promote. Good chatting with you, Chuck. Be well. All right. You too. See you later. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the full podcast episode. Please help support our guests by following them on social media and purchasing their products, whether it be a book, album, film, or other thing. And if you have a few extra dollars, please consider donating it to their favorite charity. If you want to support the show, you can like, share, and comment on this episode on social media and YouTube. And if you want to go the extra mile, you can give us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Finally, make sure you're subscribed to the show on YouTube for the video versions and other exclusive content. We appreciate your support. Have a great rest of your day and shoot for the moon.